This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. Today we're talking to Erin uh, Montgomery. Her new book, or not so new, but her book that I recently discovered, Dirty Little Secret. <laughs> I, I just discovered the Dirty Little Secret. Uh, confessions, and I do mean confessions, of an alien contactee. And we all have confessions, don't we? I know I do. You know I've had a lot of sexual contact, and so has Aaron, and it's a big part of a lot of our lives. And it's not a part of our lives we're especially willing to talk about interaction with apparent hybrids. And, of course, you know, Ann and I had one follow us from upstate New York to, to Texas, and he was real, and he was terribly terribly distressed and having a hard time and so we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff like that because Aaron's had a lot of the same experiences and more and and has Aaron is it's exciting because she has a a long arc of experience and a lot of changes in the way she thinks about it and handles it uh her facebook page is dirty little secret uh you just go to facebook and put in dirty little secret and aside from many peculiar websites you will find i mean facebook pages you will find hers and you can get in touch with her there very quickly i certainly did and if you want to interact with her she's also connected to uh She's a member of Ron Smith's group, Ciro, and she is, uh, uh, you can get in touch. The simplest way to get in touch with Ciro is to simply type in C-E-R-O and Google and search for it. It's easy to find. And so let's get started. You start your book with, I am not new to strange experiences. I have been steeped in the paranormal and the esoteric. For long, as long as I can remember. But of all the weirdness I have experienced in my life, astral travel, premonitions, ghostly encounters, etc., there is one phenomenon I have tried my best to pretend doesn't exist. Well, a lot of heads are nodding besides mine. Uh, what? Let's talk, before we go into the one that doesn't exist, that does exist, that we wish didn't exist sometimes, and sometimes we long for, <laughs> yeah. and we have all these complicated feelings about, why don't we talk about some of the other stuff? Give us a, when does the, when do you remember your first paranormal experiences? I, um, I think most of the paranormal experiences that I remember, you know, the earliest started when I was, uh, probably puberty, you know, going through junior high at the time, um, being able to see strange auras and like purple, purple energy movements through my room and seeing them outside and then being able to hear voices that are coming through that. Of course, that sounds crazy as we, um, all wonder, you know, are we crazy? Are we losing, um, uh, touch with reality? But at the age of, you know, 12, 13, I, was very interested in ghostly experiences and things like that. And it was about that time that I realized, oh, gosh, I really can perceive these beings and I can try to communicate with these beings, you know, thinking they're ghosts and, and things like that. Um, I know that as early as like two years old, I was having strange things happen to me, even though I don't remember it. Um um, my mom tells a story about when my grandparents came to visit me and I was about two years old and she, um, she and her sister gave birth just within two days of each other. So I was born first and my cousin was born two days later and, um, they were going to withhold calling my grandparents anything and let us come up with our names, um, for them that we wanted to call them. Right. And so, my cousin and my grandparents lived in the same city. He was exposed to them on a daily basis, and he came up with the name Papa for my grandfather. And so at the two years old, they came to visit me, and I ran up to him and said, Papa, and they had no clue 
how I could have uh, come up with the same name that my cousin did. And so it makes me wonder, like, even then, was I having, um, you know, precognition or telepathy to know that that's what he was supposed to be called? You know, we're, we're apparently born this way. Uh, there's a doctor who studies the brains of people like us, and um, a lot of them have an, an, a, a, a large amount of something called white matter between two brain areas, the caudate and the putamen, that's apparently that they're not sure yet is associated with this kind of experience and or an ability to perceive it. And while in my brain, the amount of it is normal, it's not really thick. It's the structure of it is completely unique in their experience. And I'm, I, you know, we really need, hopefully we'll get money eventually and more people can be studied. It would be great to have, an MRI, if you have an MRI scan of your brain, uh, it would be wonderful to get it into this. I don't know if you do or not, but because uh, you don't need a new one. I mean, okay. uh, but anyway, we'll talk about that. Uh, and, and folks listening, if you are a close encounter witness and you do have an MRI of your brain, let me know at Whitley at Strieber.com if you want it to be studied because uh, that could be done. Uh, and, uh, it, it might help all of us know why it is that we're the ones who remember this stuff. And the question then is, is it happened to everybody and just us remember it or not? I don't know. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling we're kind of, kind of in this thing and we're kind of alone in it. How did you feel when you first realized, began to realize you had this? That these contacts, that these memories and experiences were somehow real. I, you know, I didn't have any actual memories of contact with ET beings until I was about 19 years old. And I remember very distinctly the night where it kind of came crashing in. Um, and not even. It's weird because I didn't even have any visualizations of anything that happened. I just knew that it was a part of my life. I was 19 years old. I was in college. There was a man giving a lecture, and I so wanted to go see it. And it was about UFOs, and I was so excited. And I walked down there in the dark at night to um, sit in for this. I was with my boyfriend at the time. And um, I sat down and listened to this older man talk about redacted documents and uh, radio signals and and how it cannot be proven that they don't exist. Of course, I know who it is now, and I've seen him speak on many, many occasions. And, and of course, he, he passed away just, I think, in the last two years. This would be Stanton Friedman. But while I was sitting in that lecture, all of a sudden something shifted in me and I became terrified. I was so excited beforehand and then terror. And and I went outside and I was afraid to look up into the stars. I've always loved, you know, being outside in the night sky. And I even, you know, I didn't have a telescope until I was in high school, but being able to look at the stars and see the constellations, all of this was really fun for me and all of a sudden I could no longer look up in the sky so I knew that there was something in this lecture that triggered something in me that that shifted all reality for me and and walking home in the dark keeping my head on the ground with my boyfriend and then we went to bed and then there was something that happened that night. There was a big explosion of light outside the window and and while I don't remember what happened I, I do think it was an acknowledgement of, yeah, hi, we're here, guess what? And um, it was from that point on that memories as I was a child started to come back to me, just slow bits, uh, floating out of bed, going down the hallway, seeing these beings. And, too, at that point in time, I was starting to have, um, like, conscious recall of things that were happening in the moment. Um, you know, if, if they would come and, and, and interact with me, I would actually remember, oh gosh, okay, so this is what happened last night. When, um, when did you last have an experience? Uh, probably just within the last few days. I mean, I, I am constantly having, 
Yeah, I'm constantly having. Do you think it's stepped up? Is it, or is it just always like this? Yes, I do think that it is ramping up. Yeah, and for me, it's mostly the the astral travel type. I'm not like I don't. I'm not physically leaving the bed, at least not that I can perceive but i'm actually having marks so maybe i am i'm not sure but yes i think it is ramping up i am having more and more experiences and of course now i'm uh my current partner is also a a contactee and and so we're having joint experiences or experiences on the same day in different places with different information that we're receiving so it's becoming really quite interesting yeah, I should say. You know, my last experience was night before last, and in the after the show, in the third half hour, I will let my listeners know and viewers know what happened. But we're not talking about that right now. What I would rather do is go back <laughs> a little bit again to your your move to Roswell, uh, and how did that happen? Because that was a that was an important change in your life that would lead you eventually in a certain direction. Definitely it did. And it was completely against my will. It is not what I wanted to do. And it was, I think a continuation of the, I don't want to look in the sky. I don't acknowledge what's happening to me. And here I find myself having to move into like alien central uh, Roswell, New Mexico, where, you know, it kind of all not, all started for America. There were some incidences beforehand, but this is where it kind of exploded back in 1947. And I fought it tooth and nail. However, my husband at the time, who was my boyfriend that was with me at the lecture uh, when I was 19 and our two children had to move to Roswell because his family lived here and, and we needed the support and, and monetary help um, as a young couple um, in our early twenties. And, um, and I had the hardest time adapting to living here. I was refusing to go down Main Street because every single building, all the street lights have little alien eyes on them. Uh, you know, every storefront has pictures painted of aliens. There's on the signs, on billboards, everywhere. Even the city trucks have, you know, and everything has aliens or UFOs on it here. And so being able to cope with it. It's, it's like a cosmic joke, man. Like, no, we're going to make her adapt to this. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's you go. sort of like that, isn't it? And a cosmic mm-hmm. joke. And, you know, and you were, you were kind of being forced into something, pushed into it. You know, I know people who, who, who've worked on the materials that were found at Roswell. And, you know, there's something about that place. Uh, there, you know, when you, I always say that when you look at the materials, please be aware of the fact that they're looking back at you. And, uh, <laughs> it's true of Roswell itself. I mean, it's like a place where you're going to be completely steeped in this. Did you feel a sense of, when did you first begin to put together the idea that this is, this is, because by the time you moved to Roswell, you, you knew something about what had been happening to you. When did you first begin to become aware of that, uh, that, you know, something, wait a minute, I'm, it's not just ghosts and stuff. I've got aliens in my pants. <laughs> when did you think of that? <laughs> it, was, it was right at that time when I was 19. So 19 to 20 is when it started to really dawn on me. And from, I would say, about 20 to 25, so between the two children that I uh, I had here on Earth, anyways, um, it became more and more prevalent and understood to me. And so I was in Las Cruces, New Mexico at the time, which, you know, there's a there's a, um, a missile range right there, too. So that I'm not kind of not surprised that I found myself in that area as well. But um, but it was at that time where. Uh, okay, I understand. Um, I there are aliens going on. Yes, I may be able to do. I mean, you know, I was starting to develop and understand my psychic abilities at this time, and it just sort of unfolded. I mean, there was a shock to the system, but then it was like a natural, easy progression into oh, ho, ho, ho. okay, so this is coming from 
outside of the, you know, outside of my known universe. Um, and, and, and now I'm understanding that I have had these experiences. Um, it was certainly not an easy moment for me, but then I, you know, ran into the idea of a star seed of, okay, so maybe I'm not from here either. And I think that made it a little bit, um, more palatable, I guess you could say, as I, as I explored and started to understand these experiences I had. And the fact that I was having these memories coming back from, eh, I think I was around seven or so, um, that was really starting to be more and more prominent in my mind that I, I knew this has probably been a long time coming. Um, nobody in my family talked about any of these things either, which, which, um, it would have been helpful, I think, you know, for me at the time to understand that it wasn't just me. Um, and I and I met people throughout these years, too, that were able to help me come to terms and understand a little bit at that time. And it wasn't but it wasn't until the move to Roswell um, that I was having open contact that I was remembering and able to say, oh, hi, little preacher. <laughs> what are we doing today? You know, it's. um um, it was really this move here that kind of made it explode in my mind. Well, in my reality, I guess, not my mind. Free Dreamlanders, we're going to take a little break now and um, listen to some wonderful commercials. And subscribers will just keep right on keeping on. This is Whitley Strieber. Listen to me now from June of 2010 talking to Alan Lammers about an incredible thing that happened to him on the island of Sulawesi in Indonesia. Here you are in South Sulawesi in the little town in the district of Sandu Batu. You were, what happened? You were told something rather strange. Well, we were told before we went, um, like my, my friends that I work with in, with the NGO, they told me that when you pack, because it kind of happened by accident, I went out to buy a raincoat. It rains quite a bit in this part of the world. And so I went out and I bought a yellow raincoat. And my friend said, I'm sorry, you can't, you can't take that to Walla Walla. And I said, well, why not? And he says, well, it's the, you can't wear that color. So anyways, excuse me. So I thought, okay, well, what colors can I wear? They, they said, well, you can only wear black or white. You cannot wear any bright colors, no bright green, especially no yellow. And, you know, that's all you should bring. And I, and I said, well, what would happen? And they said, well, uh, people disappear. You will find the rest of that story, and it is brain-bending, in the June 5th edition of Dreamland, June 5, 2010 edition of Dreamland in the unknowncountry.com archive. This archive is one of the richest of its kind in the world, probably is the richest of its kind in the world, filled with extraordinary shows, of which this show is certainly one, this show with Alan Lammers. You will never have heard anything like it. It does what Dreamland is here to do. It opens your mind to the fact that we live inside a hidden reality that we prefer not to acknowledge, but not here. Here on UnknownCountry.com, we do acknowledge it. We live in it and we love it. Subscribe today. You can't go wrong. Go to UnknownCountry.com right now and get started. We're talking to Erin Montgomery. You can find her on Facebook, DirtyLittleSecret.com, or excuse me, her Dirty Little Secret Facebook page, pardon me, her book, Confessions of an Alien Contactee, Dirty Little Secret, it's a short, extremely intense, and well-thought-out book. Uh, if you are a close encounter witness, it will help you in a number of ways. First, it's going to help you cope with 
your experience and with the incredible intimacy of it. And uh, I know a lot of us are having trouble with that. And we're going to talk about that very frankly soon. Um, and it's also going to give you ideas about who to talk to, where to go, uh, what people like Yvonne Smith are all about, what they do, what they can do for you, et cetera, and so forth. Because it's time for us to, to try to start to heal. And, but before we talk about that aspect of Aaron's experience and of, uh, our own futures, because we have to find a way to, to live with this. Let's, let's instead talk about what the, when you, when you moved to Roswell, you had this, it was as if it was pulling you in a way without you knowing it, it was pulling you. It's like it wants to be understood in some way. It doesn't want to hide. Or am I wrong about that? Or do you, what, how, how, how do you react to that idea? Well, actually, I just got goosebumps. And for, for me, that's, that's, uh, proof positive. Like you just, you just hit on a major truth. Um, I, that's, that's like my way of indicating, up. Oh, okay. So whatever was just said is true. Um, and it very well is true. I, this is something that I think, um, you know, I, I talk often about being led and being like moved like a chess piece in a game because I need to understand this. I need to be able to be there and aware and come to terms with who I am and what's going on in my life. And the only way I think they, they could have gotten me to do it was to plant my boat right here in town um, so that I could come to terms with this. I mean, if I'm living in a town where this is not prominent and in my face, it would have been very simple just to, you know, whatever, I'm just going to keep on going with my life. This is not going to be anything that is going to affect me. I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to just hide, you know, from the reality of, of my life. And, um, but no, once, once I moved here, and I could not escape it, even though I tried. Um, you know, eventually I did have to learn the roads and I did have to travel down Main Street. And and I came to terms with, OK, I'm not going anywhere. And in fact, I've been here for 20 years now, um, 22, actually, minus six months a little bit ago. Um, but being here, being steeped in the lore of of what happened in this area, being um and 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 I guess really finding the truth of my own experiences is exactly what it is I was supposed to do. So you meet Yvonne Smith, and this is a very important moment because you she gives you a warm hug, and you're suddenly you've got support in a support group. And then what happens? Wow. You right. To, so I have you, you, your book. You says things got really intense that night. What happened? Yes, that was. Uh, <laughs> um, I uh, in my mind, as I'm trying to explain my experiences to people, I say there's three different categories of experiences that I have had. There's the ones that are loving and beautiful or major learning experiences that are great. There's the pile of things that happen that really scary but not necessarily bad. And then, and then there was what happened that night and, and it was absolutely terrifying to me. Um, I had gone to the UFO festival for the first time in about 2012, um, you know, just kind of screwing my courage to the sticking place and I was just going to do it. And I, that's where I met Yvonne and I realized I'm not alone. I've got all this support. And I went home, went to bed that night and woke up being transported through the wall of my bedroom and I was in some sort of like a gurney, but it was wrapping like wrapped around my head. I couldn't see anything but straight above and I was seeing the window in my room and I was going through the wall and I thought to myself, okay, that's interesting. And then I kind of blacked out and I came to 
you know, back into consciousness and I was laying on a cot, like a military type cot. And I was it just this incredibly excruciating pain across my lower abdomen. I, you know, trying to sit up to, you know, hold myself, but I couldn't because I was strapped down. Panic starting to sit in. There's two beings at the foot of this cot, very, um, I would call them like a tall gray type of being, not the small, like two to three foot, um, you know, three, it depends on the type, but anyways, these these taller beings at the end of the bed, and they're, um, you know, operating between my legs, and I don't know what's going on, but there's another cramp, you know, ah, what's going on with my stomach, um, and then I see this man approaching, man, looked like a human um, in a military-type garb, he had on fatigues, he had short gray buzz cut haircut he had on a lab coat and was carrying a a clipboard and he was walking around the room and I was not the only woman there there were many of these beds and there were many of us yelling and frightened over what was going on and I I was trying to call out to him like hey can you come get me out of here because you look like a human what's going on and he looked at me and then he looked away as like Okay, and went on about his business and, you know, out of everything that I've gone through, that moment, well, that will never leave me. And, but still the, the, the pain and the, and I realized what I was experiencing was labor and I'm giving birth and there was no way I could have been pregnant. I was not sexually active. There was no man in my life. I there's no, I could not have been pregnant. There's there's no way. Um, and in fact, didn't have any of the signs of pregnancy either. You know, during my waking life, or you know, outside of this particular thing, which felt like a dream, absolutely terrifying nightmare. And and then I see. This, you know, the the tall beings have this like small infant in their almost fetus. I mean, it was so small it was hand size, and and they take it away. And and I blacked out at that point in time. You know, lost consciousness. Woke up in my bed in the morning, thinking, God, that was the most god awful thing I've ever experienced in my life. That was the most horrible dream. I don't. Want to ever experience anything like that again? I go to move, sit up, and I've got aches and pains in my stomach. Like, uh oh. So there were. I get up and I look in the mirror. I've got broken. There were after. Yeah. And and here's here's the absolutely. I want to touch on. We would think, oh well, this was just a nightmare, but there's a detail here that's awfully hard to explain. That is, what you Mm. saw was very small. In other words, if you had been pregnant with something that small, it might have been close to term without you feeling much of anything because the uterus never expanded. In other words, it was, right. it, it, it was the size of an embryo, of, a, of, a, of an undeveloped embryo, but it had developed on its own. That's, a, that's an absolutely creepy detail that suggests to me the possibility, and it's after all, everything we talk about is in terms of possibilities and maybe this happened and maybe it didn't, and maybe it was this way and maybe it wasn't. But there's a possibility that you're telling a story about a real experience because of that little detail that would never have come up in a dream. I don't, I wouldn't think. Maybe it would, I don't know. Maybe it would have, maybe it would have, and maybe, and I, I would imagine that the human mind is so strong that it could create some of the uh, wounds, I guess, that I had that next morning as well, because I had broken blood vessels all through, you know, over my eyelids, across my nose and under my eyes, as if I had been crying very, very hard, which is, you know, what happens to me if I'm bawling my eyes out. I, I end up with these broken blood vessels all over, and I had them in the morning upon waking. I also had, and, I, and this isn't the only time I've had this, but I had 
um, three bruises on each leg, about yay long, as if um, on the inside of my thighs, like fingers. And so, I, you know, I wouldn't have had that. I didn't have them the night before. I shouldn't have woken up with these bruises on the inside of my legs. However, with the series of events and knowing that there were these creatures, you know, basically in between my legs, you know, I, I don't know. To me, it was very, very real. You know, this creatures between your legs fascinates me because that happens to me. And uh, we're going to take another brief break for those who are listening on the free side. And for subscribers, we will keep on. Where is the unknown country? Is it out there in the stars? Or is it also somewhere else? Is it in us, in you? Unknown country, join us today. Go to unknowncountry.com right now and join us. Join the questions. Join the search. Join the adventure. Unknowncountry.com There's no place like it in the world. Okay. Okay. We're back for Free Dreamlanders and subscribers never left, never left the store. Uh, we're going to be talking now more about sexuality and this experience. And this is, you, you know, it's just like a dream that has some kind of connection to reality, but functions like a dream at the same time. And yet, I mean, look at Aaron describing all of these physical effects, she obviously had a hell of a lot of stress that night. A hell of a lot. More stress than you would normally have with a dream because, let's face it, you don't wake up from a nightmare with your eyes all screwed up like that. Uh, you wake up from a very traumatic experience. But what in the world is it? Because it it just has the quality of dream. I have that happen to me all the time. I, I, we all do. The whole thing is like on the shadow line between the real world and another world. Well, let's talk about what's the first <laughs> sec, oh, excuse me. What's the first sexual experience that you really remember with regard to this? I'm not going to say that um, I have early memories of anything sexual happening. Um, I do have a lot of memories of um, babies being taken and things like that. But in the last two years or so, I have it's, it's like things have shifted as far as sexuality goes. Um, you know, a little bit of personal information about me. I've been married several times and in my, in my last marriage, there was very, there was very little sexuality and I would go to sleep and find myself in this, this blue room. And as, as uh, some friends of mine have termed, it's the blue room boom boom because yeah. there's many, it's many different people, human and not. Possibly hybrids. I don't know exactly what's going on, but it's, it's, it's a very sexual moment and it's almost like learning. Somebody is learning about how do, how do you touch a woman? Do you do it like this? Oh, she likes that. And, and these things. And I would wake up going, what the heck? That felt good, but what the heck was going on? And I've got my husband next to me and, and there was this time back in 2019 where it was happening like every night. And I finally, before bed said, okay, listen, if we're going to do this, can you like involve him too? Cause this is getting weird. You know, we're, we're like, I'm a monogamous creature and all these things are happening. My husband's right there and he's not involved. And so they're the humor that can in lie some of these experiences is, is incredible. And so that night I was back in this place. It was anti-gravity though. So we were floating around, but it was still this blue room. 
And then I, I look over as I'm having a sexual experience with, I don't even, I, did, I wasn't even perceiving who it was with, but I saw my husband like floating by, <laughs> like just like, doo doo like, okay, that is not what I meant, but that's very funny. Ha <laughs> ha. Um, yeah. you know, and, and woke up just shaking my head going, okay, okay. <laughs> y- y- y'all don't get it, <laughs> but, but, um, I mean, and I guess it, it goes much deeper than that. I think that there's there's a level that people don't um, associate very often is um, when it comes to sexual attraction and even, you know, just with other humans here on this earth, we are, again, like pawns and brought into each other's world on purpose. Like, okay, so you need to breathe with you. And, and so I think that a lot of us experiencers are having, having that happen, not even realizing the other person that we're with is actually an experiencer as well. Um, and I, and I have noticed that in my current relationship. And it's, um, it's quite bizarre to realize that like, wait, am I, am I in control of my life or am I not in control of my life? Am I just doing everything that I'm told? Or, you know, what, what's going on? And, um, so it, it, it gets very complicated and very deep and, um, makes you question everything about what you understand about yourself and everything, just everything yeah. is on the line. Your whole, I remember very well after my first sexual experience, which was very intense, mm-hmm. at least the first one I remembered, it happened in the house in, in a room full of people. One of whom I recognized, uh, who was an intelligence officer I'd known for years. And he, I've, I've confronted him about it. And he, he has no memory of it. Mm. But weirdly enough, another person I know was told his name in the most improbable, bizarre way. And, and it was informed that he had been told that he must never speak of it at any time in his life. So, I mean, and these two people are literally in different parts of the world. They know nothing of each other. So, and the sexual experience was so overwhelmingly powerful. Uh, and I was so ashamed when I told Anne, you know, that I had been unfaithful. And she said... Whitley, you weren't unfaithful. You were, there was nothing you could do about it. And I said, no, I, there wasn't actually anything. But I still felt the shame. I wonder how do you feel about these experiences? I, you know, back in 2019 when it started to become more of a sexuality versus breeding if that makes sense um moment i was confused why i was not you know like why is my partner over here but um you know over the last year or so it it is a little bit bizarre i don't have a feeling of guilt or shame more like confusion um like, okay, so why did that happen? And, and, um, you know, extremely intimate moments. And, and these, some of the beings are human, some are not, you know, or they appear human. Um, don't know them, but as you said, extremely powerful sexual moments. And then, and then waking up and looking at my partner, I'm like, man, that was weird. You know, like just, yeah. I just had this experience with this type of creature and for him to say yeah i woke up as he would say fully torqued and so he knows when something has happened to him as well um like i i don't remember anything but i woke up like this and it's weird um and so and so i don't necessarily have that feeling of shame especially not with this particular partner because we have you know, sat and talked for many, many hours about the expansion of love and, and intimacy and and sexuality and how it, it goes beyond 
what um, is seen here on Earth, well, at least in America, like this, you know, we've got your nuclear family, and this is how it works, and you're supposed to do this, and and we're just throwing that all out the window, or at least attempting to. Um, it's it feels you know. like it, doesn't it? It's a completely different, a different way because it's very communal. Like you know, you're in a room full of people, and they're all doing stuff. Exactly. I was in a room full of people. The person I was I was making love with was no people. I was definitely an alien, or if that's what mm-hmm. they are, and uh, definitely not right. human. In fact, the face was blacked out so that I couldn't see it because I had a feeling. And he said later, I know why the face was blacked out. I said, why? She said, because you would have gone down like a completely collapsed if you'd seen that face. And I said, maybe it's true. You know, my, my, my writing partner, yeah, my writing partner on Supernatural, one of the books I wrote, which, which is the one that has the most detail about these sexual experiences in it said, he thought maybe the reason that Anne was so unconcerned was that it, in a sense, it was her, that this is something to do with us and the way we are that we don't fully understand, that we're like the caterpillars and they're the butterflies. What do you think of that? Does that make any sense to you or is it that not sort of? No, it makes, your- it, no, it makes complete sense to me. Um, one of the things that I have been taught by these beings is how to dial in and out from individuality, you know, being very, you know, just uh, pinpointed consciousness of my in my current physical body and dialing it all out, all the way out to like a universal consciousness and then understanding being part of the all. And I think that may be part of, that experience too because we are you know we are ourselves in that moment but not only could that being have been Anne, but it could have also been you you know and and in experiencing yourself in many different ways just as it could have been Anne, or it could have been somebody else or and it probably was that individual consciousness in that body at the same time does that make sense? I mean, that, that's, you know, a lot of what they ta- teach me is, is, is this multidimensional. Do not, do not limit yourself. You're, you're being silly child. You know, open up your mind. You are much more than you even, even begin to understand. Well, um, Aaron's sound is going wonky, but we can still hear you. And, but everyone who listens to this show or watches this is used to plenty of wonk. It's a wonky show. Technologically, <laughs> I, um, so now here's the thing that happens that you talk about a lot in the book. Uh, it is that there may be something about this that's not negative. Like in my life, it, it it's the most useful, valuable thing in my life, and also the scariest at the same time. So tell us a little bit about. That aspect of uh, it's wonderfully described in the book. Well, it's very true. I mean, the ex- some of the experiences I had, especially that one um, with the with the human military approaching, um, was absolutely terrifying. And it was that uh, that just, set me just, back. Just, wait, like a, just expand on it hmm. a little bit. I don't think you d- discussed it in too much detail earlier. So, it, 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 can you expand on it a little bit and then go ahead? The, the human, the one with the military. The human. Yeah. yeah. That, yeah. So, so that in particular, you know, at the point when I had this experience, um, giving birth to a creature or, you know, uh, an entity that was tiny, you know, smaller than the palm of your hand was not, um, unknown to me. It had happened before. I was used to it. It was the insertion of a human in this experience and a human that did not care at all for me or any of the other people in the room just I felt all of a sudden like cattle like I didn't matter that I was a tool that I was being used for something and that is not an experience I had ever had before um I was in an underground area it was it was not 
in a sterile environment like I was used to. It was there was something fundamentally different about that experience that made it so terrifying. And the fact that the human was there and did not care and walked away. It, it kind of broke me that it it, it it broke my psyche a little bit. And and at that point in time, I like was afraid to go to sleep, um, kept the light on all the time, had these feelings of paranoia. I'm like, oh, don't come get me. I can't handle this. Don't. And that's what prompted me to go and, and start looking into the hypnotic regression. Um, but that that gets me off a topic from your question of how do how do you. And I almost kind of forget what the question was. We're engaged in an exploration and I'm throwing questions yeah. out, but you know, you can riff around them, which is fine, which is what you're doing. Because well, after all, right. we're all here to not to learn facts so much as to get a sense of your, of, of your presence and your experience and your emotional content. And that's going very, mm-hmm. that part of the interview is right. going very, very well indeed. Uh, the, the, so the, you were talking about the, the, basically the military looking guy. And, you know, the people who put the implant in my ear were, if they were, they were human and they were, it's, it felt like they weren't wearing uniforms, but they were, it felt like a military operation. And, when the they the people in the house were warned that I was awake, it was a voice from the backyard, a male voice that said condition red, which is a very military way of talking. But, you mm-hmm. know, and Melinda Leslie would say these are military people and there is a military component to this. How do you react to that? I, that possibility. Well, I- I think, I think that it, it's absolutely true. Um, I don't know a lot about it. And in fact, I've been a little bit nervous about diving into, do I have any other of these military experiences? And I sure don't want any. I don't like them. There's, there's a lack of compassion and caring that I have come to understand and experience with these beings. Even if I, you know, as a small child did not understand, um, Granted, what I remember from a small child wasn't remembered as a small child. It is, you know, as I um, grew up and became a young adult that I started to remember these things. And yes, I was very scared by what they were doing, such as implants and things like that. But I was always taken care of and cared yeah. for and and had companions that would spend time with me and talk to me and teach me. And and I still have teachers that teach me. It's it's a one of the most phenomenal experiences I've ever had. I mean, being taught how to vibrate like a bee to be able to reach into a universal consciousness. I mean, come on, that's amazing. Yeah. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. (laughs) This is an integral, um, fundamental part of who I am, you know, my contact and my, my, um, friendships i think that i have developed with some of these beings that there's i would not trade it for anything me neither i agree with you completely and free dreamlanders you're going to agree even more than we are agreeing with each other with these commercials (laughs) you're going to agree with them so completely you're going to rush out and do whatever we tell you to do which is going to be basically the same stuff we tell you every week and that which you generally do not do which is to subscribe to the site we'll be right back this is a brief excerpt from an interview with two contactees who had an 11-day close encounter experience and are now willing to speak about it really for the first time To hear their whole interview and many others, subscribe to unknowncountry.com. Here's the excerpt. Did you see the man's face? Yes. Uh, Actually, that one is very clear to me. It was kind of longish, and uh, he didn't look... He didn't look completely human, but he... Because he had very, very thin hair, almost non-existent, but he was young. I believe that it was kind of blonde. And he was very tall, like six, at least six feet. 
and he was so thin that he looked kind of strange. And what happened then? Well, he wanted me to to go with him or to stay with him. He wanted me to stay with him on the ship. And I'd been married for six months, and I wasn't about to go running off to stay on the ship. Now, surely you want more. You must want more. And there is more. Not only this contactee interview, but many others, many of them just as extraordinary on unknowncountry.com, plus everything else that we offer, my audio books, the meditations, the talks on the key, William Henry's wonderful revelation show and its entire run, Anne Streber's brilliant and magical mysterious powers, and so much more. Hours and hours of listening pleasure. Learn from the meditations on the site. Really learn because they're real and they're valuable. Subscribe to unknowncountry.com right now. Go to unknowncountry.com. Click on the subscribe tab. We are running very low on new subscribers now, and that should not be. It should not be happening. So you do it. You go there and you do it today. Now we're back and we're talking to Erin Montgomery. Her book is Dirty Little Secret Confessions of an Alien Contactee. And you know, you're talking about the value side of it. And I, I'm there too. I have a, there's a lot of value in my experience. I wouldn't trade it for anything. And there is somebody who comes here all the time who meditates with me. Uh, who will, <laughs> if I should fall asleep, when I'm meditating with other people, I lead a, sometimes lead a meditation group, and when I'm falling, if I should fall asleep during the meditation group, they will wake me up immediately by making a buzzing feeling on my lower legs. In other words, they're always here, whoever they are. I never see them, but they're always here. And they're on my side. Mm-hmm. I feel that. I even think it might be my wife. It might be Annie. But there's someone on my side, but there's also something else. And that is that if you're abused enough over a long period of time, you will find a way to see your abusers sort of through rose-colored glasses. That's known as Stockholm Syndrome. You talk a little bit about the possibility that we may be in that situation yes yes i do because well it it dawned on me um you know as i was progressing you know i I think that as as experiencers we have these different mm, phases that we go through you know first you're you're trained when you're little as far as like psychic abilities and things like that you move into the breeding times when you're fertile and they're able to harvest and then you kind of graduate and you graduate into being able to help these other experiences who are in those early stages and help them feel comfortable and calm them down um, and make, you know, make it easier for them to be used as you were in the past. At least that was my experience. But I didn't really have the memories of it happening. I had people telling me, man. You were there in, in my dream last night and you took me to this place and you made me feel so much better when the scary people came in. And I was like, Oh, I did. Did I? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was, I was giving birth to like these, these twins, but you were there to help me. Oh, okay. I'm glad to know that I was of comfort to you. But at the same time, it makes me think, what the heck is going on? Now I'm, I'm treating people the way I, or, you know, helping people through these experiences that I, did not like and very uncomfortable and scary for me. So does that mean I'm on their side? Does that mean that I have been trained into this against my will? Or is this just a, you know, just a part of everything that's supposed to happen? So it really, you know, I went through a very dark phase of trying to come to terms with the fact that uh, have I turned coat? 
you know, am I, am I against humans now? Am I, or am I on their side? And I, and I'm working with these ET beings and, and doing things to humans and helping them do things to humans that I don't think is okay. Let me ask you this. You've had experiences with a being that, uh, is neither male nor female. It, 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 that's correct. I'm right about that. Vada? Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. That and that was another really dark part of my life where I was, I was, um, in an abusive relationship, um, my second marriage and, um, and I was warned by them, don't, don't, don't go there, don't do that. <laughs> but I did it anyways because I was being defiant. Like, you can't tell me what to do. I'm going to date and marry whoever I want. But I should have listened. I should have listened. But right near the end of that relationship, I was approached by a being who called himself Veda or Vada, like you said. And it was like the spirit of, uh, of an ET. And in my, my opinion, or my thoughts at the time was that perhaps it was one of the beings that had crashed here and died and he was stuck. And that, and that's what was in my mind. He was, he was from the crash in 47 and he was trying to get home and perhaps I can help him. But he was the one that taught me. I say he because it kept a more active and that, yeah, and that's one of the things that I've noticed. Yeah. It's there's active or there's nurturing and he was much more active. And so heat comes out of my mouth but um there was no gender it, it, it was it was like uh he said you know whatever you want to perceive me as is just fine you know if it helps you <laughs> to think of me as gender do it you know whatever but he was the one that was, really helped me understand um like creating boundaries how to protect myself in a psychic manner if there's if there's energies that are coming close how to keep them away but also how to open up and to start to work with these energies that I was perceiving around me um, and then help them. So he, he, he was comforting when he was there. Comforting. I've, I've never really personally been comforted. I don't think too much, but I have gotten very involved in this experience. And when, after the show is over, I'm going to add a little, little codicil, uh, which you can listen to if you want to and comment on if you wish, uh, about an experience that happened the night before last. It was very powerful, uh, that, um, wh- where I found myself kind of bonding with something that was really, really terrifying. And I'm wondering if that's happened with you, that you're, you, you're experiencing, and that we sort of talked about Stockholm syndrome a moment ago, but, the bonding with the negative side of it is really interesting to me because a lot of us are having that experience, especially recently. What does that mean to you? It's not that well, we're becoming evil, but that it, we're kind of accepting it. From what I have experienced, it, it has been, you know, the entities especially since the book came out um, telling me you have to help people get over the fear. You have to help people calm down so that we can communicate easily with you instead of having you shut down because you're going to, into a fear state. Um, that, like it's we have fault. to learn how to relax. Huh? They're pissed off at me about the fear too. Uh, no. But it's not our fault. Yeah. It's their fault. Don't they get that? <laughs> their fault it is their fault and that's in there and it's just like a uh you know is the feeling i get from them like oh come on let's let's relax like the human brains don't work that way we have to approach this from a different manner and i and it you know is really interesting something that i've been wanting to research is going back through you know different people's experiences and and how how the ETs themselves have changed their MO as they understand the human brain and work with them in a gentle fashion. If you go back to Betty and Barney Hill, that was very traumatic and, and scary. And, and there was no, there was no the coddling or comfort or anything that, that I have felt with these beings. But that is, you know, many years later, you know, my earliest experiences would have probably been 
into the 70s and early 80s. Okay, we've got a problem with the sound. We've got a problem with the sound. Uh, can you say something and see, see if it's gone away? Yeah. Is no, it not better now? Now it's better, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, it makes me wonder if I wasn't supposed to speak about that or something. Yeah, well, that's, that's <laughs> but, the kind um, of thing that happens on this show all the time. When you get into something they don't want you to talk about, all kinds of weird stuff starts to happen. So go ahead. Right. Well, talk but about I think it it's we important can. Well, we can. To... <laughs> right. Right. So even, you know, even in my, my known experiences, having ETs that were like handlers are there to, you know, to keep me as calm as possible to find out later that I am being used as these handlers to keep people as calm as possible. And then, you know, in um, just in the last couple of years, as uh, one of my family members has turned, she had just turned four and I found myself at her house to take her. And I thought, Oh, so we're stepping it up a notch. Now here comes a familiar family member to take you on a ship for these things to happen. So that even less of an impact on the human brain, you know, the fear, the fear level is not going to be there. The damage that is done, the trauma that is done through contact with these, these unearthly beings is, is being phased out in a way to make it more and more safe because they're not the ones interacting. It's us puppets almost that are doing the during the the work now i was with a psychologist the other day who believes and i'm i'm very interested in skeptics and i i like to be with them because i think that they are an important part of this uh anyway his attitude was that this these were all false memories and that what we're what's happening is that we are having memories of abuse of some kind but it's basically human in its in its origin and we are doing something called transference we're transferring those memories into a form that's more acceptable to us than it was actually my daddy or my mama uh, and mm-hmm. i don't agree with him but i wonder how you feel if if that is maybe part of it or or even all of it Well, you know, as as I know that I have trauma that is outside of the ET experience, it makes me wonder, like, would this be so bad on me if I had not been in a domestically violent marriage? Would the impact have been less on me as I came to terms and understood what was going on? I don't know. Looking back at my childhood, no, I was not abused. There, There's no big missing gaps of memory in my home life. Um, and things like that. But, but there are like really bizarre things that happened to me as a child that even my parents don't like, I don't know. This was bizarre. This was weird. My dad told me that I was around the age of seven or eight and he happened to walk by my uh, bedroom door and heard me talking to somebody about wanting to kill myself. I have no memory of this conversation at that age. At that age, well, I don't, really I have no, memory. Him I don't know. It did. He said it was the most surreal experience he's ever had to sit down this little girl in these long braids and explain to her why it's a good thing to stay here. But my response was, I just want to go home. And so th- that doesn't make sense. But again, like I said, I don't have any memories of why this would have come out. Uh, both my parents are, are very nice people. They're not abusive at all whatsoever. They're, I had nothing scary happening in my world at that time. However, it was, you know, now that I can calculate back and, you know, after regression with Yvonne, it would have been right after the experience I had at the age of seven and, and having been taken on a ship and it was very impactful for me. So, so there is that. Free Dreamlanders, we have come to the end of our time together, and we will continue on for subscribers, and we're going to be talking about hybrids and the possibility that there is hybridization going on now that is actually being bled out into the world. In other words, the hybrids may be growing up, 
and they're coming to become part of our world and what that may mean and and what Aaron knows or or has sensed about that. And then at the end, for a couple of minutes, I will describe the experience that happened to me night before last and its implications, which could be if if it is a warning, then they're really profound. If it's a, a threat, it's they're really profound. But if it's just a, 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 a sort of sample of what could be done, I'd very in, much like your input and have you had anything similar. Free Dreamlanders, thank you so much for being with us today on Dreamland. You've been listening to Dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. Dreamland is brought to you by UnknownCountry.com and its family of subscribers. Our theme music is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Streber is your Dreamland host. And I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander.